Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Just a journey I've been on with the Lord where the Lord spoke to me to that it was time for me to reclaim my voice. And when I heard the Lord speak that to my heart, I didn't really, it just was language that that I didn't really understand. Um, and so we're going to, I explained all that to you the last time I was up up here. So I'm not going to belabor all of it again, but I do just want to give a quick recap so that we can just have that understanding for some people that maybe weren't here at that time. And then we're going to move forward into some new things today. Um, so, so with that reclaiming your voice, it was language that like, I never say reclaim. It's just not in my, my, vocabulary. Not that I wouldn't ever use it, but I would never think of that as the first word. But so I had argued with the Lord a little bit, like, why are you telling me reclaim my voice? And we had talked about how um, reclaim means to to claim back, to demand to have returned. Um, And so the Lord was just really showing me that if we said restore, restore is something that can be done without you putting action to it. But reclaim means that I have to, in myself, go and take it back myself. No one else can do it for me. Um, And so I was like, oh, you're pretty smart, Lord, and what you're telling me, I guess. Um, And then the next thing the Lord um, showed me was just the word voice. And I had been doing some study about that. And the Lord showed me that the cognate meaning, one of the um, cognate meanings of the word voice is to bring home. And then he brought me to Genesis 3, 8. And it says, they heard the voice the sound some Bible translations say, but it's the same Hebrew word of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So here, this is the first encounter with God after sin and God's voice from the beginning. What was he doing after Adam and Eve had sinned? He's calling them back home using his voice to say, it's time for you to come on back home. And so I just love that. And that got me all excited because it's just so neat that God is, he, he does that. He doesn't expect us to have it all figured out, but he's saying it's time for you to take action, but I'm the one calling you back home. And then I, I was looking in Matthew three, um, and we see Jesus when he's being baptized and a voice came out of from heaven. And it said, you are my son who I'm well pleased in different translations say it different, but God used his voice to call his one and only son back home. Now we all know that God, Jesus didn't sin, but there's, there's things we see in Hebrews five, where it said that, um, Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered and having been made perfect, he became eternal life. So even Jesus, we see, had to go through a process where he had to walk in some things to become what God had called him to be. Um, and then we jumped last time into to Matthew 4, um, where Jesus is being right after those glorious words of, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Yippee, we all love that part, right? Um, and so his second, tem- the first temptation was to stone turn the stones into bread. And Jesus said his response was man shall not live by every word, but or by b- bread, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the father. And I just felt like the Lord, um, he, he so put that in my heart of I'm living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the father. It's not about what I do or don't do on my own. It's about who he is and living by who he is and what he's speaking. And I think that, um, so in all of this, what we can see is to reclaim our voice. We have to have total submission to God's voice, complete surrender and submission to only move 
with God's voice is what gave Jesus his voice. But I want to pause for a moment because I think especially in our circles, um, what that can sometimes communicate is that we can say, we can look at that as only a directional thing. Like, oh, I need to press in to hear what God's saying about this next move I have to make because I really got to know what job God's telling me to do. But sometimes we miss out on the process of God. He's, he's, He's inviting us to transform us to become who he is. So living by every word that proceeds from his mouth is not just some distant God who just wants to speak to you directions and then be removed. And that's where I want to move today because even um, as I had shared before, I don't want to belabor this. I'm just putting this out there for anyone who wasn't here. Um, But in my life, I had just walked through a lot of hurt. Um, I had been abused from the time I was four to the time I was 16. And then I got baptized by the Holy Spirit, which was amazing. Um, And things didn't change right away. There was still a lot of abuse that I was walking through. Um, But I was learning how to lean on God in that. Um, And there was some, then after that, just to make it brief, um, we had gone, Josh and I eventually got married. And then we um, had gone to a church where we were publicly humiliated a lot of times and said, "Um, I'm going to preach this sermon because Josh and Brittany had this question. And and he, um, the pastor would yell at us in the middle of prayer meetings. And it was just very, very painful. And there was so much rejection that came in that season because we, we just wanted God. We wanted to know who God was. But there just wasn't a healthy dynamic in the atmosphere to be able to um, talk through issues. And so it became very much like, okay, the door of church is closed in my life because um, I know God's good, but church seems very painful. Um, And so for a while, um, right after that, we moved to Connecticut because we had some friends out there. We're like, well, maybe it's just this church because we know God's good. And when we went out to Connecticut to do some ministry work, our friends um, had a lot of issues in their marriage, and it ended up being just a really hard thing. And, um, and we ended up losing those friends and it was very, very painful. So again, we just ran into rejection and, and really everything about that experience was just very, very, very hard. And so after that, we did go through a a season. It wasn't long, but, um, for some months we were just like, well, you know what? Maybe church isn't really that important. Maybe we can just have a relationship with God and we can just, not have to be at church. Um, And we eventually just, I mean, not that you can't cultivate your own relationship with the Lord. That's for sure. We're not dependent on church, but there's a reason why God said, don't forsake the fellowship of the believers. And we learned that in that season, that even though we had been through some hard things at some hard places, um, forsaking the fellowship wasn't the best choice for our life. Um, So then In the midst of all of that, um, we had come back to where I grew up. I grew up on a farm and we had come back to start a business, um, for, on my family's farm because it was the dream of my mom and dad to have this business. And while we lived in Connecticut, I got, I was a manager at this, um, dairy farm that made their own ice cream and cheese and all of that. So I learned a lot of the skills my parents needed to be able to start this business. And so we moved back um, to start that. And then walking through all that, um, there's just a lot of dysfunction in my family, but not because they're bad people. It's just because they were raised in dysfunction. And so that's the byproduct is you stay in it if you don't reclaim your voice and take it back. And so we ended that season um, with complete rejection of my dad saying that um, he wanted no part of me and it ended up being bad again. And it, I just lost my family. So moving here eight years ago, just felt like a complete, I don't know what to do with my life, but God, I know that somehow you are, you are really good because that is what your word says. I'm just really struggling to see that. 
that right now. So that's where I'm catching you up to where we got to last time. Today, I want to talk to you about my healing journey because I'm so thankful that God doesn't leave us in those places of brokenness. And so before we jump in to um, really walking that journey, I just want to read to you what I had, um, what I felt in that time of just walking through all the brokenness um, and how I was feeling within my heart. Because I want you to realize that this is not something apart from God. I was a Christian. I was spending time with God. I was seeking him. So it's not like this is a before salvation and after. It's we're all on a journey together with the Lord and we're growing and we're learning and we get to every moment of every day live by his voice and take one more step to reclaiming our voice back, to coming back home to the Father who loves us so much. Okay, so I had forgiven every situation in my heart that had happened to me. I did my best to, to love and live at peace with all the people involved. I desired restoration of relationships, but my heart was broken. I was striving, working for something I could not obtain with my pain and hurt. I was so filled with shame, I could not look in the mirror. I hated the fact that I had so much fear. I just wanted to lock myself in a room and never come out, but it was my reality. I knew I had orphan thinking, and I would beat myself up about not being able to get it right. I knew there was a battle raging in my mind, and a lot of those thoughts were from the enemy. I knew I have the armor of God, but how do I apply that to the situation at hand? When all I feel is pain, and even though I know the thought I'm thinking is not God's thoughts, it feels much more real than what I know is supposed to be true. I knew that I had lived my life with a performance mentality, always trying to work hard to feel accepted, and I knew that that never satisfied. But how do I get free from that? I knew Jesus loved me, and yes, I know he fully accepts me, but I just wish that those words meant something more than just something I should know and be living out. I hated that I did not want to be around anyone. I was depressed. I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. I felt like I had no friends, no family, and no one that really desired to know me for who I was. I would lay for hours and just cry because my brokenness and emptiness felt so overwhelming. Pushing people away felt like peace, but instead it was a gnawing emptiness. My fear caused a disconnection to God and others. Lord, I need to know how to walk with you in freedom and love that you promised in your word. So that's how I felt in that season. I want to read to you really quick where we're going to go today. God is not a person so that you can just have in your mind, we're moving past that. God is not a person to know about and work hard to please. He is a being that desires for us to become one with him. He loves extraordinarily because he is love. He clothes me in who he is and I become one in heart, mind, body, and soul with him. He never lets go of me, so I get to press into him no matter what my circumstances are, no matter what my problem. Not just for comfort, but for transformation. So that never again do I have to walk in fear. Never again do I have to walk in shame or depression. I get to live free because I am being transformed into his image and into his likeness. I get to carry his nature. I get to become his nature. And so I, I, I love that, that I get to become his nature. It's my choice. It's each one of your choices out there. Today, that's what we're talking about is it's a, an invitation for each one of you to step in and reclaim your voice. This is not a message about, um, I, I love those messages to a degree, but it's not a message about let's run after our dreams with God and everything's going to be perfect. What were you designed for? And you just need to run towards that. I'm not saying that that's not good, but what the Lord has taught me is it's about 
becoming who he is. And it really doesn't matter what trophies I win in life. It really doesn't matter the things I attain. What matters is, was my life transformed to who he is? And if, it, if it's not that, then all else just falls by the wayside. And so it's an invitation today that we get to become his nature. I just want you to think about that for a second. The God of all the universe, he could have just come and removed our sin. He could have just come and said, I'm inviting you to live eternity with me in heaven. But he didn't. He came and he modeled a perfect life and he said, that's the life you get to live. And I'm not asking you to do it in your own strength. I'm going to give you the power. I'm giving you the life source to become me on the earth. I just love that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But I also love that we get to live by every word that proceeds from his mouth and that the word comes and he dwells in this flesh. And I get to yield myself to him and live that out every day. So in that invitation, I'm going to just walk you through just some things um, practically that I had to walk through. It was not fun most of the journey, but um, the result of it has, has been good, and I'm still not there. So we're all in this journey together, growing and helping one another as we'll, we'll see coming up. Um, but as I had just shared before, I was very trapped in fear and felt like I couldn't breathe or I couldn't move. Um, And one of the things that was really hard for me um, and one of the things that I first had to overcome um, was um, a victim mentality. And I hate labels because I feel like as I read before, I would know that God loves me, but okay, I'm not feeling it. And I know it's not all about feelings, but I don't want to live in a place where I know something out up here, but it's not living out of me here because that's not good for anyone. And so when we moved here, just to give you um, a little background, um, Josh and I had moved out of a very bad situation quickly. We didn't have, um, We didn't have money, so we were living on $50 a month for groceries. Josh was working at Starbucks, not a job most people love, but it works because God was faithful to provide that that to us. Um, We had just gone through a few years of my time um, managing the farm in Connecticut. We didn't know anybody out there because we were just going out there in faith. Um, And so our daughter was two, and she came to work with me every day, seven days a week for 16 to 18 hour days. Um, And so that coupled with when we moved back to Illinois, um, our schedules were absolutely crazy. Again, seven days a week, sometimes 20 hour days. And so Noel, um, our, she's 13 now, but at the time she spent the time from when she was two to we moved here the month before before she turned five, um, either running around and playing while I worked or for two years she stayed with my grandma all the time. So I moving here, I had all this um, shame, all this guilt of just feeling like, what have we done with our lives? We've tried to be faithful to you, God, with what we felt like you were showing us to do. But here's my little daughter that hasn't had a mom to really be what I know I need to be for the last three years of her life. Here's my husband working at a job that he doesn't, doesn't love. And not that I'm not thankful for it, but it was a struggle to make ends meet. Here I am eating tuna, which became wonderful <laughs> that I don't really love tuna anymore and, and peanut butter and things like that. But it was our reality that we were living in. And I just remember one day I was so frustrated. And, and in the midst of all of that, um, just we had signed some paperwork to just get all the business stuff um, pushed over to people who wanted to run the business after us. Um, and they uh, refused to pay one of the debts. So that became us on top of the weight of what 
we already had moving here. And so it just felt like we couldn't breathe because there was all these things. And then the pain of, of letters and phone calls from my parents saying, you broke covenant. We never want you to be a part of things and all just the pain of all of that. And I just remember one day, um, talking to someone and I was just like, what am I going to do with Noel? She's missed all this, all this stuff. And they just said to me, they said, you know, right now you're having a victim mentality because you're taking it all in. Like it's all, yes, she didn't explain a lot to me, but she just said, you're having a victim mentality. And when she said that I was first of all, sort of offended because I was like, really? Like, you don't know what we're living in right now because of the consequences of other people. Um, I, I don't want to share too much, but I want you to know the reality we were living in was so difficult. And so in the sacrifices we were having to make because of other people's choices, it felt so hard. And so I went home because I'm a firm believer that you, before you get offended at anything, you need to get in the secret place and ask the Lord. We shouldn't ever be offended. But sometimes we raise our offense and then we can't even hear what God is trying to tell us. And so I went to the secret place and I was like, Lord, I know that that's true. I hate the label that you have a victim mentality because again, it feels like you're just putting me in a cage that that's just who you are. And so I was struggling with it and I just felt like that's when the Lord told me, you know, there might've been, we talked about this last time, but there might've been things that were done to you in the past that made you a victim, but you get, it's an invitation to be powerful in your response to them. And I just went on this journey with the Lord of, you know what? I have to take initiative and no matter what circumstances I'm living in today because of other people's choices, I don't get to stay there. I get to be powerful to push those strongholds down and become who Jesus made me to be in his image. And so I I just wanted to touch on that because that that is a painful thing for me to share, but I think it's really important because if you don't hear that today, and if we're just all going around like, well, if this person wouldn't have done that to me, I wouldn't have been in the place that, that I'm in now. We're never going to be able to be all in with all of our hearts fully engaged into what God's called us to be because we're caught in a trap of, well, if that wouldn't, if they wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have been here. Guess what? Each one of you have an invitation today from the father to be powerful and your response to whatever has happened in your life. Um, and so as I, as I had just been pressing into the Lord over and over, I, I just encourage each one of you. Um, we have prayer times here at the church like four days a week. Can I encourage you if you're struggling, you're going to find the answer in the secret place. And that's the only place you're going to find the answer because he is the answer. And so I encourage you to, to come to the prayer times. There's, you know, each prayer time looks different, but there's one where there's just music playing and it's an atmosphere where you can really learn how to enter into his presence. And so anyway, in this time I was doing that, I was spending time with Jesus at home too. And I was just saying, Lord, I need to know your love. I'm tired of just hearing about your love. I'm tired of hearing that I am a child of God. I want to feel the adoption of my father as a real reality in my life. And so, um, the Lord, I was here one night for, um, a prayer time at K hop. Um, and the Lord began speaking to me cause I'm just crying out. I have all this brokenness. What do I do? And the Lord took me to, um, Esther and he said, what did she ask for when she was presented with, you can have whatever you want up to half the kingdom. What was her request? And I looked and she, what she says is I want a banquet with you to the king. And then she goes, the banquet's prepared and, and the king comes to the banquet and the king's like, what do you want? What's your request up to half the kingdom? And I felt like God was in, inviting me in that today, like, or that day, tell me what it is that you really want. And I'll give it to you up to half the kingdom. But I looked at 
Esther's response, and I had to pause in my heart and see how even at the the banquet, she told him. She could have just said, I want you to free the people. She could have done that the first time. But instead, she said, I want you to come to another banquet with me, King. And what the Lord taught me that day was he has his scepter extended to us. And he says, what do you want? But what is our heart response? Do we just want him to do something and then move on? Or are we going to say, I just want to be with you, Daddy? That's what I really want. And that's what the Lord began teaching me in this time is I don't have to have it figured out. I don't even have to know what I'm going to do in the next minute. But if I, if my heart is leaned into the Lord and I'm like, I just want to be with you, then he's going to make all the chaos around me peace. And he's going to lead me in it. Another thing that happened in that season of me wrestling so much was I, I started taking communion every day because I, I was so frustrated with all these things that I, I hear people say, but it just doesn't feel like it's real in my life. And I hate that of when you're like, I know it's true, but I'm not feeling the reality. Again, it's not about feelings, but it's about knowing it in your heart is what I mean by feeling. And so I began taking communion every day because I was like, Lord, I need you to show me who you are. You have to show Show me what the power is in this communion. I hear your words in scripture, but make it real to me. And so in that season, one day, the Lord just randomly told me, he said, do you realize that I'm the one that gives you the desires in your heart? I'm the one that put that in, in your heart. And I'm talking about sanctified desires. I'm not saying if I desire a Big Mac right now, that's the Lord. You all understand what I'm saying. I'm talking about the desires of of my life and what I feel like is fulfilling. The Lord said, do you realize that I'm the one that put that in your heart? I'm the one that's going to give you the power and the ability to walk that out. And I'm the one that's going to bless you once you obey what, what it is that your heart is longing for. I turn around and bless you. And I realized, oh my goodness, it's not I I had known this before, but I realized in that moment, it's not me at all. It's me simply yielding to what he's put in me, being one with him and walking out, holding hands with my daddy and walking it out. And then he turns around and blesses me when I'm obedient. God, you're such an amazing God. And I know that that example is so personal for me, but my invitation in that is, um, it's really important for us to press in for encounter with the Lord and to not just take the words of what we know to be true, but ask God to make it real to us in our own lives. And the only way that's going to happen is if you make time in your life and if you say with a fervent heart, I'm not moving God until you reveal this to me in a real way where I really know it and can move from it. Um, So in learning how to live completely yielded to God and moving by every word that proceeds from his mouth, he taught me that I must yield my judgments and how I view things to see how he sees them. And that's where we're headed today. Um, Last time we had talked in Genesis 3, and I had briefly updated you on it um, this morning, that they heard the voice, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's what happened right after Adam and Eve had sinned. Um, God comes and he's calling to them. He's calling back home. But what is their first response to him? If you jump down two verses in Genesis 3.10, they said, I, Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Isn't that interesting? Because if, you, if you're in Genesis, I didn't tell you to turn there, so sorry. But if you want to turn to Genesis 2 and 3, that's where we're looking at right now. And it's just interesting to me because in Genesis 2, verse 25, it says that they felt they were naked and they felt no shame. So what happened between Genesis 2, 25, when they could be naked and there was no shame, and Genesis 2? 310 when he said I was afraid because I was naked so I hid what happened here when they ate 
of the fruit was not just that they committed some sin and they did something that God told them not to do. That's true. But what happened is now they have the ability to judge apart from God. Before they ate of that fruit, they were leaning on God's wisdom. They were leaning on his instruction. They were dependent on him to show them what was right and wrong. Once they took of that fruit and they ate of, of the fruit from the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, it opened their eyes to not just see something they didn't see before, but it was giving them the ability to judge what is good, what is wrong what is evil and in that all of a sudden you see adam and eve now feel shame they're afraid they're judging things in their nature apart from who god is and so i want to jump into what how that how that applies to every to each one of us because we're still living in that place of are you going to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where you're choosing to make the judgments? And I want to pause real quick. The word judgment, I think we can have a lot of um, things that come to mind when we speak that. What I'm talking about judgment is just simply the way that you're viewing things. Okay, so it's not like it doesn't always have to be negative as far as I'm choosing to judge your hair or something like that. It's simply um, that I'm my viewpoint on this issue is how I judge. So that's how we're using the word judge. Um, so we see that they were choosing to judge apart from, from God. And so what the Lord showed me is that you're choosing to judge in your own strength rather than pressing in to see through God's eyes on these things. Um, and so we're going to jump really quick into, into forgiveness because what happened in the garden, all of a sudden you have shame, blame, and fear that, that enters in. And so forgiveness was the first part that I had to deal with was the blame um, and the unforgiveness. Um, and I want to to say this definition really quick, just so that you get an, a context, because I think some it's important to define words, because sometimes we can say, oh, forgiveness, I know what that is, but we want to really define what, what we're talking about that it is today. So forgiveness is not removing things from the past. It is choosing not to pass judgment. In my heart, I had chosen to forgive. I, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to push it in the back, all the... the um, images of the abuse, I'm just going to shove it to the side. All of the hurt from feeling rejected in front of the whole church, I'm just going to push it to the side. Losing my best friends in the whole world, I'm just going to pretend like it doesn't exist. And I really wanted the best for them. I was not put wanting any will, ill will on any of them. Um, but I would have bad dreams a lot. I was filled with and I was afraid to trust people again and, and just be real about who I really was. I knew that God was definitely merciful, that he had forgiven me of my sins. But I knew that I couldn't measure up to the standards of righteousness. And I know that in, and even walking in forgiveness, and I know that we teach we're not supposed to. But I was judging in my own strength. And I had all this pressure inside. Forgiveness apart from the overflow that only comes from knowing and being in relationship with God is incomplete because it is only his nature that can know a thing and not pass judgment. I have to know him and live out of that reality. It is our fallen judgment that makes it impossible not to pass judgment. Remember the knowledge of the, of good in, the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil? True forgiveness is not just denying or forgetting, but removing all judgment attached to the person and the situation. However, we can't do that on our own. Even though I had made it right in all of those situations, I had gone to the people and I had asked forgiveness um, at, at times. There was still a part of me that I was not only judging the situation. I didn't want anything bad to happen to them, but there was a judgment there of viewing myself differently because of the situation that happened. So 
some of the things that just practically speaking, how that looked in my, in my life was loving my family well. I remember we would go back to visit because I understand there's a place for boundaries and I'm not saying to not have them. We definitely had our boundaries of, of what we will and won't allow. But I believe that God says you can't just stamp people out of your life and there's seasons when you need to maybe for um, some time. But anyway, and so we would go to visit them and it would be so incredibly hard. But I would just go in with the love of my father and I was like, Lord, I just need you. You have such great love for them that I need to see them the way that you see them. I don't want to view them with the judgment I have because of the situations I've walked through. I want to love them with the same love that you love. And so I, it would be a very intense times when we would go and visit and it still can be to this day. But I remember there would be so many times um, where they would be so mad and, and we would just be loving them and just telling them how much we love them and just asking them how life is going for them and all these things. Um, and it was really hard, but it wasn't in my own strength. I was just like, Jesus, you, you love how you see them. And there would be times when my, my mom and dad, they would be so angry. And all of a sudden, they would just get laughing because something was funny. And they couldn't deny laughing at it because it was funny. And then they would just catch themselves and be like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be mad at you right now. But Jesus is so good that through the last eight years, we've just, uh, we don't have a perfect relationship, um, but he's so good because they, they know that they're loved by me and my family and they know that God loves them. And I will never stop telling them that I'm praying for you and I will never stop declaring over them what I see in them. Anytime we go to visit them or talk, I talk to them, I always ask, Lord, how do you see them right now? Help me. I want you to burn that in my heart. So I can treat them the way that you want them to be treated, how you view them, that I can view them in that way. Um, the man, uh, one of the men that, that was the source of a lot of the abuse, um, I sent him a letter probably like six years ago, just letting him know that I forgave him. And I just had asked the Lord before I, I wrote it. I said, God, I want to see him through your eyes. What I see is a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. But I know that's not how you see him. And, and the man, he's still living the lifestyle where he is doing things that hurt people a lot. But that, do, that doesn't excuse his actions. I'm not saying that God turns a blind eye to that. But I am saying God made that man for destiny and a purpose. And that actions in his life do not have to define who he is. And so I wrote a letter to him and I asked the Lord and prayed for weeks before I wrote it. And I said, God, I want your heart to come through in this letter. And so I wrote a letter and I just was declaring his destiny over his life. And I was like, you know that when you were young, you had a heart to preach. You would get up in your little country church and you were 10 and you would share a Bible verse that God gave you. And I just pointed him back to all those things. And I said, that's who God made you to be. Not all the things that have happened in your life that made you go to other things. I forgive you. And I want you to, to know your release from that, but I want you to not carry the judgment of what that thing did to you. Because even though it was so painful for me, people who are abusers, that doesn't need to define who they are because God has great things for their lives too. And they need to take the step to reclaim their voice. Um, and on the back, I just told them, I said, I found a love that can't be broken, a love that will never let me down. And I just declared to him the goodness of who God is. In that season, I don't know that he's had any radical change, but I do know that, that I didn't know it at that time. But later I found out that, that the season when he received that letter was a season when he was getting ready to commit suicide. He had gotten everything he needed to commit suicide. And I'm not, I don't know what he did with the letter. I've not, I've seen him one time since then. Um, and I, and I didn't, talk to him about it. But I do know that God did something in that season because for some reason he didn't go ahead and commit suicide. And he's given me a heart to just pray for those who, 
who have hurt people. Because like I said, that doesn't need to define who you are. It's again, throwing aside my judgments, how I view things, and pressing into God's heart and saying, how are you viewing this situation? Um, I want to uh, wrap that up real quick by just saying that if I didn't work, if I've also learned that if I don't work through issues and if I just say stamp, it's forgiven, and I don't really see God's perspective on it, what ends up happening is even though I might be stewarding my heart right, what ends up happening is I bend to the situation and it creates an atmosphere of dysfunction. So I think it's really important that while forgiveness is, yes, Letting people go, it's deeper than that. It goes deep into just releasing all judgments and seeing the way God sees them. I want to really quick talk about shame because this is where I was really wanting to get to today. Um, Shame is an unpleasant emotional reaction by an individual to an actual or presumed negative judgment of himself by others resulting in self-depreciation. Guilt is a good thing because guilt tells us when we've done something wrong. Shame is not an okay thing because it says that we are wrong. It's a feeling of unworthiness to be loved and a fear of loss of connection. There's lots of Bible verses that I have that if you want them, I can give them to you uh, in regards to shame. But we're going to jump past that really quick um, because we're just trying to get somewhere important. When, when guilt, uh, when shame comes with guilt from the choice that we've made that's wrong, it is important to renounce that. And, and bringing stuff out of the darkness into the light is the first step of just being able to walk in your healing journey. But then we need to know and become who we are in Christ. And I, I just want to go back to this. And this is just where my heart will always be is that. We need to become who Christ is. It's not just a matter of knowing about him. And if we really want to look in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word know is an experiential thing. It's not head knowledge like we like to think it is in America. But we get to really know who he is. And it's through Christ's openness to the Father. That was not only the model that each one of us need to model our lives, but it's the anecdote for shame, for removing shame. Because it's in that place of knowing God that we can know who we are in him. Our judgments of ourselves become what he sees. And so I... I, know that we talk about that some here a lot of just being a child of God. You are loved. All these words. But I want to encourage you again. If those things, when I say you are dearly loved by the Father and it doesn't strike your heart as, oh, Daddy, I feel your embrace right now. You need to press into him because he wants you to know it in an experiential way where you can know your daddy, you can know you've been adopted into his family, that you're kings and priests, and all the amazing things that we know that he says about us. Um, Like I had said before, I wasn't able to even look in the mirror. I didn't want to look at myself probably even five years ago just because of the weight of all the shame. Um, and, And there's a huge process of what went in. I probably don't even know all the things that went into getting me out of that, that place. But there was a time when, um, what, what I'm trying to get to is we have to have our relationship with the Lord. We have to be living by every word that he's saying, but there's another component where we have to be in relationship with one another and we have to be leaning on each other. And in that season, there were so many things people were speaking into my lives just to help me get past that. Um, But one day, I I just happened to catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror, and I just buried my head in shame because I didn't want to see what I saw. And I felt like the Lord said, you need to look back at yourself in the mirror. And so I lifted my head and he said, this is what true beauty looks like. And he took me through months where he just instructed my heart that I needed to to look at myself in the mirror. And I had to tell myself that this is what true beauty looks like. Because it's the process, again, of not judging 
through the way I see things, but saying, Daddy God, how do you see this? And I'm going to lean in and do everything I have to do, whether it means I have to say a thousand times a day to get my heart to align with what I know is true. And, and I'm not going to have time to really get into this a lot, but I want to define shame as anything that you're judging in a situation about yourself that doesn't line up with God. And I think that if we're all being really honest right now, we would be real enough to say that each one of us have things that we can look at in ourselves and say, I don't like this about me. And while I think that there is a journey to go on of just of going through and being able to say that I do like this about me, there's another thing that I feel like is really important. To, to realize God designed each one of us to be incomplete in ourselves. It's by design. We're, when our fears are that we don't want to appear weak, when our fears is that I need to hold it all together to, so everyone thinks that my life is, is not a mess, when those are the fears that we're struggling with, we're in a battle with our, the way God even made us because he didn't design you to be complete within yourself. So we need to humbly see our weaknesses and lean on Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulty, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's about leaning into Jesus. It's as simple as that. I don't have it all figured out, and you know what? I never will. But there's grace because he's transforming me into his image. So even though I don't have to figure it out, he has it figured out. And he comes through my life as strength. And he comes through my life as power. And he comes through my life as something that I could never attain on my own. But he didn't expect me to have to. Another thing is is the body of Christ fills our lack. And Ephesians 4, I love it. It's a chapter about how we're the body of Christ and we're all being built up in one body, each one having its own part to play. You've all heard it. Are you the ear, the eye, the nose? All of those things we know. But I just want to highlight really quick um, in, in um, verses 14 and 16. So if you want to turn to Ephesians 4, Verse 14 through 16. And it says, So we may no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness, with deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ himself. So see right there, that's the goal, that we're growing up into him. But he didn't ask Amanda to do it apart from from the whole body here. He didn't ask any one of us to do it on our own. In verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body is joined together and connected by every joint and ligament, as every part effectively does its own work and grows and builds itself up together in love. There is a very real place, you guys, that we have to learn how to access our weaknesses, how to know what I'm not great at, and trust my sister, Gabby, that she, God gave, designed her to have a strength that I don't have, and I get to lean on Jesus. I get to view things how he views it, but I also get to lean on Gabby, and where she is strong, I may be really weak, but it's not about comparison. It's our design, you guys. 
And that should be so exciting to each one of you that it's together we get the fullness of who Christ is. Together, it's the image of Christ that we all get to be. And yes, I get to grow and learn. I'm not saying what I am not saying is that I get to just say, hey, I have this weakness, Gabby, come fill the hole, and we're gone. No, it's about relationship. In my relationship with Gabby, she teaches me things, and she shows me about her strength and in that I get to grow in my place of weakness. So I become, get to become stronger in the places that I'm weak. And together we get to all grow up into the image of Christ. Okay, I just want to read a few things just to close us out. There's a lot of other amazing things, which I know you all agree. The Bible is amazing, and we could go a lot of places that are just so exciting to me, like John 17, that he's, Jesus, his last prayer that he says so many times as he's crying out to the Father, not his last prayer, but one of the long recorded ones, is that we may be one just as the Father and Jesus are one, that we may experience the love just like the Father and Jesus had. And if that doesn't excite you, we need to talk, <laughs> okay? So love, I just want to read some of the points that God's just taught me. Love is sacrificial giving, choosing to live, to share my life with others wholeheartedly rather than a feeling and getting my personal needs met. It is a concern for others without losing care of who God made me to be. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but rather it's the fullness of an embracing presence. Freedom from my daddy is a way of being with, not away from other people. With my whole heart in. As I have been walking on my healing journey, the Lord has shown me that walking in forgiveness, peace, freedom, righteousness, whatever word you want to throw in there that we hear about in church that we read about in the Bible. Those are not measured goals to be accomplished through my performance, but rather they depict a life that breathes fearlessly and an intimate love that moves me to act within an accompanied love. And so I just want to invite you today we're, we're done with, with talking, but I just want to invite you today that these just wouldn't be words that you heard one Sunday that comes and passes. But I just invite you today to just ask the Lord to encounter you because these are not goals to be obtained. It's a life we get to choose to live and reclaiming our voice. And taking back and running to come back home to the loving embrace of our loving daddy who's always loved us and who wants to give us his eyes of judgment, which is the tree of life. And so, Father, I just ask that every head would be bowed. And, Father, we just invite you, precious Holy Spirit. I just ask you to come right now, Lord. just ask you to come and move on each one of our hearts, Lord. I thank you, God, that we're all in process, God. I thank you, God, for the journey that you're taking each one of us on. And I just ask you, Father, right now, just to highlight in each one of our hearts one area, Lord, where we can just press into you with all we have. That you would just give us eyes to see the way you think, see things, Father. And that it wouldn't be us leaning on our own judgment to discern good and evil. But it would be your eyes that judge perfectly. That leads us to reclaiming our voice. That every day when we wake up, we get to say, here we are. And we're taking back the things in our lives that don't look like you, Jesus. And we're leaning into who you are, Daddy. And we're becoming the image of Christ. And so, Lord, I ask as we leave this place, 
that that would not lift off any one of these people, but, Lord, it would just grow in intensity, that as they would go to sleep tonight, you would reveal your loving heart to them, and it would never fade away. And we thank you for who you are, Father. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.